Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Christopher Kimball, host of Milk Street Radio. If you'd like to change the way you cook and also think about food, please check out the Milk Street podcast. We travel around the world to find pizza in Tokyo, Egyptian food in Berlin, and Bhutanese farmers in Vermont. We speak to Jamie Oliver, Rachel Ray, Al Roker, Ina Garten, as well as Michael Twitty, Marcus Samuelson, and Alice Waters. And we'll introduce you to recipes that will change the way you cook, from bright pink Tottenham cake to Afghan dumplings to shoyu sugar steak, and that one is direct from Hawaii. It's a whole new world of food right here on Milk Street Radio. Please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, or go to 177milkstreet.com. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Uh, welcome. This is our bonus Q&A episode, uh, courtesy of Books of the Year. We're here with international best-selling novelist Linwood Barclay, who hopefully you heard on our previous episode talking about his book, uh, Look Both Ways. We were just filling in idle time talking about uh, my favorite TV show, the moment, TV show at the moment, which is The Last of Us, which is on HBO, which is Sky Atlantic over here, and all shot in Canada. Uh, and turns out Linwood is a big fan as well. So that's... Uh, oh, Yes. Just love it. That guy, that guy Craig Mazin, he knows how to write for television, doesn't he? So. Oh, oh, it's just magnificent. I was like I was saying, it's it. I think in this moment right now, it is the must-watch show. It's just I can't wait every week. I can't wait for it to be on. So, question number one, um, we did send them to Linwood, but Linwood chose not to do any just prep. Just going to wing it. Just going to wing no, it. No prep done. So yeah. let's see where we yeah. go. So, Linwood, what is the the last book that you really, really enjoyed reading? And as I've said before, the second really is working quite hard. I don't want a book that you quite liked or a book that you liked. I'd like a book that made such a profound, you know, made a profound impression, a bit like watching The Last of Us on television. What was that book? Well, you know what? It was just recently, and I think I might have mentioned this in when we had our longer chat, I was lucky enough to be able to read an advanced copy of Holly, which is the Stephen King thriller that's coming out in September. And I just loved it. It was my favorite. It's a real, really terrific thriller where, I mean, Holly Gibney, who's this character he introduced in The Outsider and the, and the, Mercedes, the Mr. Mercedes trilogy. And she's up against two very real-life 
non-supernatural monsters in this novel, and it's a real page-turner. It's my favorite book of his since The Institute, which I think is from about four years ago, um, which I thought was just a real, like, pressing right down on the accelerator thriller. So I really did love okay. Holly, and I think people are going to love it when it comes out. Um, so where do you enjoy most writing? Is there a place that you go to to do your writing, Linwood? And on what time of day do you tend to do most of your writing? I do my writing right from where I'm talking, talking to you right now. Uh, I don't want to write, I don't write anywhere else really. Is Well, some, we have a place that's about two hours outside of, of Toronto. It's on the water. I sometimes will write there. I have, a little, I have an office. But most of my work is done right here in my, the home office, as I call it in my study and uh, this is where I do everything. And I'm usually up here when I'm in the thick of writing a, a novel. I'm usually up here about by eight in the morning and uh, I work till, work till lunch and then I may do another hour after lunch. The goal being to get 1,500, maybe 2,000 words a day done. So then there's nothing, I'm not one of these guys who sits in a Starbucks with a laptop so people will come over and say, what are you doing? Are you, writing a book? <laughs> you know, you know I, I don't want that kind of attention. So, so yeah, it's very simple. I just have a study and this, this, my, this is where I do the one. This is where it happens. And I know you're a big fan of film soundtracks, Linwood. Do you, do you or can you listen to music whilst you're writing? No, I can't. I wish I could. I can sometimes do it while I'm editing, while I'm going through it again. But when I'm doing a first draft, when I'm doing the sort of the original, the original take on it, I find listening to music is uh, a distraction. It doesn't, you know, I'm, I'm too focused on listening to it while I'm doing the work. It doesn't work for me. But, but I do love scores. I find that a lot of times, when I, especially when I was a kid growing up and I was already, you know, really wanted to write, I would listen to soundtracks to inspire me to think about story ideas and so forth. But once I was actually writing, it goes off. But it's funny, the, the other question that maybe you're getting to or I hear sometimes is people will ask, can you read other books while you're working on a novel? And that, and I, some people say, no, I can't do that. And I think that's so weird. That's like you can't walk and chew gum or something. I mean, I, because when you write a book a year, if I didn't read while I was working on a book, I wouldn't get to read anything. For someone who's not read the questions beforehand, that was spookily prescient, Linwood, because that was going to be the next question. Can you read crime thrillers question. when you're writing one? I mean, do, do, you, do you read outside of the genre then when, when you're writing a thriller, or, or are you happy just to read oh, yeah. anything? I'll read anything. I mean, I read a lot of crime fiction, but I'll read the occasional biography, like the Robin Williams biography or Mel, you know, they, they, I'll, I'll mix it up sometimes and read something totally different. The best book I read last year was a book called, directed by James Burroughs, written by James Burroughs. He's probably the most prolific director of sitcoms in history. Oh, he yeah. directed basically, directed all of Cheers and most of Will and Grace and all of these things and, and started in the business way back with the Mary Tyler Moore show and so forth. And that book to me read like a thriller because it was just so fascinating and full of details about how you know tv comedies are made and how there's you know how we tend to often dismiss them as junk and i think well if it's junk you try to make one so i'm i read lots of different things i can read anything while i'm actually working on a book we have a question for you next linwood in the form of a voice note from a friend and colleague of yours best-selling crime writer mark billingham hi linwood it's mark billingham here i've got a question for you now i know how passionate you are 
about model railways. I've been lucky enough to see the incredible setup you have got in your basement at home. Model railway doesn't do it justice, it's a model town. Absolutely incredible. I know how passionate you are about it. So here's the question. If you could win Thriller of the Year Award or Model Railway of the Year Award, which one would you rather win? Well, that was a, that's a nice question for Mark. And what a relief that he wasn't asking for money this time. Um, I think, um, I think the Thriller of the Year I would take because the Model Railway to me is just a private thing. I just enjoy it. I have, as you say, I have this, this little empire in the basement in a room about 18 feet square, and it's for my own personal enjoyment. I don't care if anybody's really particularly interested in it. Um, so Thriller of the Year would probably be, would be, I would take that first. And my skills, I think I'm a better thriller writer than I am a model railway builder because there's a lot of people who are at this, this, this bizarre hobby who are much more meticulous and with a greater attention to detail than I am. You know, I'll have uh, some 19, I'll have a, like some old 1950s Ford sitting on a layout next to a brand new Audi. Doesn't make sense. I don't care. So it's, um, and I have to tell you, the, the Financial Times in London has asked me to write a piece about that railway with pictures, which I believe is going to run uh, March 4th. Nice. Somewhere in there. Wow. Okay. I mean, yeah. we're looking at your office behind you, Linwood, and I can't see any evidence of, of, of model railways. I can see a poster for what I think is the man from Uncle is on the back yes, of your door. Is, so so I'm, yep, I'm guessing that's another, that's another interest of yours then. I think that that show... Well, here's the Check out my mug, you know. Let's oh, check this out. wow, yeah. David McCallum my, my and, Rob, and Robert Vaughan of as Elia right. Kuryakin and Napoleon Solo. Well, well done. That's right. So I think that that, I credit that show, and I'm certainly old enough to uh, remember it from the beginning. Um, that show debuted in 64, and I would have been nine at that time, and it ran for four years. And I became completely obsessed with it as a kid. I loved it so much. I just loved the show. And I credit that show more than anything I ever read with making me want to become a writer. And so, so when I was about 11, 12, 13 years old, I started writing what today we would call fan fiction. And I got my dad to teach me how to type so I could write these things more quickly. He gave me like a two-minute lesson. He said, here's where your fingers go. This, this finger hits this key and so forth. Where you go. And writing on an on a old um, royal typewriter that weighed about the same as a Volkswagen. And, um, and so I would... You know, an episode a week of Solo Nelia wasn't enough for me. I had to have more. So I would write my own adventures using those characters and that setting. And I got to where I was writing 30, 40 page typed double spaced novellas based on that show and probably wrote six or seven of them by the time I was 13. And, and so that, that show just imprinted on me and made me, I think at that time what I thought I wanted to be was a screenwriter to write episodic television and that little thing you see on the back i bought that in london that little poster which is actually signed by robert vaughn that's wow. why it gets a little place of honor up there fantastic so uh, as a reader um linwood are you a are you a completist will you always finish a book even if you're having sort of second thoughts 100 pages in no but i had there was an exception and i'm not going to say <laughs> not going to say who it was but there's a particular writer that I am, of, of everything he's done, I'm kind of a completist. So I like to read everything. And his latest was 
awful. So <laughs> and I thought. Right. I just I was looking for a real I was looking for a literary literary term, um, and I thought I'm a completist. I'm going to go right to the end here, and I did. So I have that, you know, as a sort of you know I, I think I, I deserve some sort of bravery award or something. But anyway, but generally no. If, I mean, life's too short. Mark Billingham is, has speaks about this to, uh, to, uh, very well, you know, wisely. Um, why life is too short to spend all this time reading something that you don't enjoy? I know that. He says that his wife will finish a book right to the end because she says, I'm not going to let this book beat me. <laughs> I think, is, is that a battle worth winning? Yeah. You know, and is it really that important? So, no, I will, I will bail. And I, I, someone else said it. I can't remember who it was. It might have been Harlan Colbin, but I think this is true, that if the first four or five bites of your meal taste terrible, you don't have to finish the meal to know that it's not good. So. Which is a which is a perfect illustration. And uh, finally, Linwood, are you a planner when it comes to your novels? Are you a planner or a seat of the pantser? Do you do you do it like uh, as Lee Child has told us many times when he just starts and sees where the adventure takes him, or do you plan it more meticulously than that? I fall right sort of in the middle. I know that like I've done several events over the years with Ian Rankin, and Ian is I think has the yeah. same approach as Lee Child. He starts and sees where it's going to take him. And that, you know, those first sort of 70 pages sort of whip by and then you have to stop and think, what's happening? Uh, you know, <laughs> where's this going to um, go? <laughs> where is this going to go? What am I done? Uh, I'm sort of, and I think that uh, if I remember correctly, I think Michael Connolly has every chapter sort of planned out before he begins. He knows where he's going to end up in the whole thing. And I kind of fall in the middle. I'd like to know, I'd like to know the big picture. I want to know the foundation of the story. I want to know who did what, and I want to know where I'm going to end up. I want to know, you know, who's the bad guy. I want to know what the mystery is. I want to know when every character speaks, I want to know what they're thinking and if they're lying. I want to know all that stuff. So, but the actual events, I can't see the potentials that exist in a story until I get into it. So it's kind of like, I think if you're driving from New York to L.A., you know where you're going, you know where your starting point is, but there are a hundred ways to get there. And so I know, what the, I know what the mission is, I know where I'm going, I know where I'm going to end up, but a lot of times I can be, you know, 40 pages in and think, oh, hey, I could do this, or I could do that. Yeah. And so there are a lot, a lot of little diversions. I mean, I just finished two days ago writing my book that will come out in 2024. And... Um, I got right to the very last page and thought of something really cool that could happen there. And I didn't think of it until I got there. And I did it. But then I, when I did a rewrite of it, I went back in and I set up sort of just little things so that when we got to that last page, it would make sense. So I hadn't planned that particular part, but I knew the big picture. So I'm not, I'm not a, I'm a, I'm a, maybe I'm not a plotter or a pantser. I'm a, I guess I'm a planter. Does that work? <laughs> And what is that thing that happens on the last page of your next book? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I can't really tell you. Oh, okay, fair enough. Uh, Lidwood Barclay's latest book uh, in the UK, Look Both Ways, published by HQ. It's out now. Uh, Linwood, again, thank you very much. If you want to hear Linwood talking more about Look Both Ways, that's in our companion uh, podcast. Remember, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email anytime, booksoftheyear at yahoo.com, or you can find us on all the social uh, media channels you would expect. For the moment, Linwood Barclay, thank you very much, sir. Thanks, guys. Thank you.
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier, and along with Kate Spencer, I host Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. Join us every Wednesday with guests like author Phoebe Robinson, chef Samin Nosrat, actress Busy Phillips, and even former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. On Mondays and Fridays, we have mini episodes where we answer listeners' questions on everyday problems like how useful a butt mask really is, how to deal with a petty friend, or how to relax after a long day. So join us Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Forever 35, where we're not experts, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.